just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hope your day is going well. Now, I didn't record a podcast for yesterday. It was Mother's Day. That's kind of a big holiday. Mothers are very important, not only to our families, but to this country. We all have somebody in our family who's a great mother or multiple great mothers that we need to take the time to pay tribute to them. I mean, I have my wife, I have my daughter-in-law, I have sisters, I have nieces, I have sisters-in-laws, and every one of them are wonderful mothers. And uh, the reason their kids turned out as well as they did. Now, I wanted to spend part of this first segment talking about my mom. Because, again, yesterday was Mother's Day. And by telling you about my mom, that might give you some sense how I ended up being what I am here on the Rational Boomer podcast. Now, she was born in Minneapolis in 1940. Her parents, my grandparents, were just good, decent, hardworking people, salt-of-the-earth people. They loved their kids, and I got to tell you, they absolutely adored their grandkids, me being one of them. They were different than my parents, um, and they were fun to be around, and that was very important in my life. Actually, both sets of my grandparents were great people, and I spent a lot of time with them. I've told this story before that uh, when my brother and I, the two oldest in my family, would go out with my grandfather on either side, it wouldn't be Grandpa taking the kids out for a ride or to the store or something like that. It would be like three kids going out to get into some shit because that's how my grandparents or my grandfathers were. They were very much childlike when they were around us. We'd watch cartoons together. We'd do stuff that we would know would make grandma mad so we wouldn't tell her. And it was great fun. And I've always thought to myself, now being a grandfather, I hope I can be that same kind of grandfather to my granddaughter and grandson Now, that might be much to the chagrin of my daughter-in-law and my son, but in retrospect, it was a great relationship. It was very important in the way I became later on. It was my one chance to be almost on a peer setting with an adult. Not really, because he was my grandfather, and if I did something wrong, they'd they'd, uh, straighten me out. But for the most part, It taught me to understand that people are people, and you can relate and have fun together, and the hierarchy of age isn't always a factor. So anyway, my mother was born in 1940 to these wonderful parents. Uh, I was very lucky in regard to this. So were my siblings. Now, she grew up kind of a weird life uh, because it was the 40s, and my grandfather ended up going into World War II, My grandmother and her two kids, my mother and her sister, ended up moving up north in the middle of the woods with her sister during the war and then came back when my grandfather came back from the war. So they were bounced around a little bit, but I think all in all, they led a good life. Uh, They were always pretty healthy. They always had the things they need. So it went pretty well. 
Now, my mom married my father when she was just 19 years old. My father was 19 at the time, too. He was actually a month younger than she was. Now, they were just kids. And then I was born in 1960. So they got married in 1959. I was born in 1960 when they were just 20 years old. Now, when I was 20 years old, I would think to myself, God, I know everything. I'm a fucking adult. I could handle this. But now in retrospect, if I was to look back at having kids at 20, (laughs) that makes no fucking sense. There are no 20-year-olds ready to raise kids. I was 27 before I raised kids, had been married for four years before I had a child, and that was fucking tough. But my mom and my dad were 20 years old when I was born, then 21 when my brother was born, then 24 when my sister was born, and then 30 when my second sister was born. In retrospect, they too were children. Really, they were just children and had no idea what they were doing. Fact is, any new parents who uh, have a child and they're in the hospital, I know I experienced this same thing. When the nurse says, okay, you can go home tomorrow, you look at them like, what? I have no idea how to handle this kid. We need some more training. We need to stay here for about a week or two so we really know what's going on. They say, nope, you pick up, you get the fuck out of here. You're on your own now. And we were. And all of us Most of us figure out how to do it. Now, what you have to understand about my family, my father was a workaholic who was rarely home, and he became very successful, at least, you know, in our area of town. He made a lot of money. He was successful. It was all about his business. That said, he was also a narcissist, a sociopath, a pathological liar, a misogynist, racist, anti-Semitic, and just not a good guy. He wasn't. And it was a weird thing when I was growing up. I knew how my dad was. So whenever I went out to friend's house or saw other men that were fathers, I assumed they were all the same. So I had a certain amount of shyness or fear dealing with men because based on what my father was. And then quickly I found out that not all guys are like this. Not all fathers were like this. Now, because my father was successful, we were never of want of anything. I mean, I'm not saying we were lavish, but we lived in a nice house. We always had food. We always had clothes. We had some toys. It, was, it wasn't it was bad in that respect. And that largely due to my mom pressuring my father to do the things he couldn't imagine he needed to do in order to take care of kids. But he begrudgingly did it. But that was about the only positive thing that my father brought to the equation in our home. He was verbally abusive to his kids and to his wife. And later on, way later on, I found out that he was also physically abusive to my mom. And that was troubling. That angered me to no end. And that set a tone for me with my father that I never, never got over. I don't think there's any excuse for that kind of behavior, especially who my mom was. My mom was kind, loving, compassionate. She was passive. She didn't deserve that kind of behavior. Now, if not for the influence of my mom and my grandparents, I really don't know what kind of man I would have become. 
like I said, my dad was out working or out of town a lot, so it was mostly we kids with my mom, and she was wonderful. I mean, one of my fondest memories of being a little child is literally sitting on my lap in the sunroom with the sun shining down and her reading a book to me. That is the essence of what a mom should be to a two- or three-year-old kid. And I remember that very distinctly, and it's probably because it was an important thing for me to remember. As I said, my mom was very caring and compassionate with everyone, regardless of their situation. She didn't have a racist bone in her body. She gave everybody the benefit of the doubt. She was always kind and nurturing and decent to everybody. The interesting thing is, in my neighborhood, all the girls that lived in my neighborhood that might be teenagers when I was teenagers, they would all come to my house and talk to my mom about their problems and get advice and look for a shoulder to lean on. That's just, that's just how she was. She liked doing that, and that's who she was. It got a little weird, though, because there were a couple of girlfriends of mine who became ex-girlfriends of mine <laughs> who still kept coming around just to talk to my mom. Thought that was a little weird, a little uncomfortable, but, you know, what can you do? Now... When I got married, she was obviously very excited about getting her first son married. And then also when we started having kids, she was elated. She loved her grandkids as much or more than she loved her kids. Uh, My kids remember her fondly. She was loving, compassionate with them as well. And she was a cool grandma to be around. But... uh, and you got to remember, she's only 20 years older than me, so there's not that much difference in age. In April of 2010, I turned 50 years old. Yep, I'm getting old. My mom came up and hugged me, gave me a card, and says, Man, you're 50 years old. That's pretty old. And I said to her, You know what's worse than turning 50 years old? And she said, What? I said, Having a kid that's 50 years old. <laughs> And she kind of, uh, she kind of hit me on the shoulder and uh, shut up. But that's kind of how it was in our family. We kidded each other a lot. There was no malice in that kind of thing. We just kind of gave each other shit. I remember when I was uh, like 18, 17 years old, I was in high school. It was the summer. I had shorts and a t-shirt on. And uh, in that time, I was pretty much eating everything I want. I was drinking a lot of beer parties and all that kind of stuff. But I was also an athlete, so I was in kind of good shape. But toward the summer, toward the end of the summer, uh, I hadn't been doing much, no sports. And I was drinking and partying and eating and whatever I want. I come walking up the steps in my yard. And uh, I got these shorts on, you know, typical jean shorts of the 70s, a a T-shirt probably a little too light. (laughs) And and she looked at me and she says, you know, you should probably watch what you eat. I go, what? She goes, yeah, if you don't watch what you eat, you're not going to look too good in your swimsuit. Well, I didn't wear a swimsuit, but I knew exactly what she was saying. She was saying, stop drinking so much, stop eating so much, or you're going to get fat. Now, she didn't mean that with any malice, and I know that, but I remember it uh, the moment I say, I think of it because... I've told it to people, and people have said, well, that's horrible. And it wasn't horrible. She wasn't trying to be mean. She was trying to be helpful. She was trying to be a mom. And she was trying to couch it a little bit by the way she said it. 
And I appreciate that. But I always I always laugh when I think about that because we always made comments to each other. We always gave each other shit, but it was more a showing of love than it was, you know, trying to hurt somebody's feeling. And if you lived in my family, you better have better not have thin skin because you were going to be in fucking trouble. And that's how it was from the day I was born to the day she died. The interesting thing is in 2010... When I turned 50 and I said, you know, it's worse than turning 50 is that is having a kid that's turning 50. Um, within a little over a month after that date, my mom, a month short of turning 70 years old, passed away unexpectedly. And that was very strange. I mean, the last thing I ever imagined that my mom would pass away. She was too young for that. She was relatively healthy. You know, she had all the older people stuff, the diabetes and stuff like that. But she was healthy. She was moving around. And uh, to this day, we don't know what caused it. And the whole scene, finding out how my, you know, that my mother died has had kind of an imprint on my life. My sisters would talk to my mom every day. I didn't talk to my mom every day. I do what guys do. When I saw her, I hugged her, loved her, talked to her when I needed to, but I didn't bug her every day. My sisters, on the other hand, did. Well, on the night before, they were talking to her, and they felt like she had some kind of slur in her voice or something was off. So they said, Mom, we're going to come get you and take you into the hospital and have you looked at because something sounds weird. And my mom got irate about it. She was upset about it. She says, I'm not going to the doctor. I'm not going to the doctor. And she hung up on my sisters. And of course, my sisters came, called back and she got more indignant about it and she hung up on her again. So the next morning I'm doing my traffic reports and I'm going to be off by nine o'clock. No problem. Uh, My sister calls me and says, you know, I'm worried about mom. She sounded a little weird last night. Could you go check on her this morning right after you get off work at 9 a.m.? I said, sure, no problem. So I drive down to her condominium, and I get to the condominium, and the screen door is locked. She had kind of a screen porch on this, but it was just one of those hook and latch things. So I took a credit card, popped it open, and I walked in. Now, when I walked in, the door, the physical door going into the condo was unlocked. And I walked in, I thought it was weird. The TV was going Uh, Her cats were running around, and I was going to yell for her. I said, hey, Mom. But then I thought, you know, she's older. All of a sudden, she hears this male voice in her living room unexpectedly. I don't, you know, I don't want to scare her. I thought she might be down in the garbage, or maybe she went off to the store quickly, and she just left everything open. So I'm standing there. I'm thinking, well, I'll just wait for her. But then I started getting this eerie feeling. And I started looking around the condo. The last place I looked was in her bedroom. And there she was laying next to the bed face down. Now, even at that moment, the thought of her dying wasn't really in my mind. I went over and I said, Mom, Mom, Mom. And she wasn't moving. So I immediately thought, I got to call an ambulance. I I have to call an ambulance right now. And then when I started thinking about it, I said, I better make sure an ambulance is what I need. So I went over, touched her leg, and it was cold. 
and I'm smart enough to know what that means. She's not only dead, but she's been dead for a little while. So I made two phone calls, three phone calls. I called my brother, who's the closest in age to me and the closest in proximity. I called the police, and I called my wife. My wife was upset. She was in school. She took off and headed down our way eventually. Um, my brother was coming right over because he's good at handling these types of things. And the police came. And it was strange because I don't mind being alone. It really doesn't bother me. But in between the time I found my mom and all the people that were to come over before they got there, I just sat down in the dining room, kind of dazed, kind of in a surreal state. And I realized at that moment, that is the loneliest moment I've ever had in my life. And uh, the crazy thing is, there was absolutely nothing I can do other than what I've already done. And that's foreign to me because, as I've told you before, I sit and I uh, have problems in my life. If I do something that doesn't work, I don't get I don't get upset about it. I step back and I say, okay, what's another route? What's another angle? There's always another angle. But in this situation, there was no angle. The fact is, my mom was dead in her bedroom. I'm sitting in the dining room waiting for some help. And at that moment, when I was sitting in that dining room before everybody came, the sadness that hit me wasn't so much that she passed away. Now, don't get me wrong. I was sad that she passed away. But I was sad for the fact that uh, here's a woman that did everything right, who treated people well, was compassionate, was nurturing. And what I felt bad was that she didn't get to do the things or be the person she really wanted to be. Now, had she stayed together with my father and he'd done the right thing, they'd have all kinds of money. They'd been traveling. They'd been going out place having fun. Instead, she was in a condo after moving from her home and, uh, you know, waiting for us kids to come over or invite her over or whatever. She didn't work. She never really had a career. She was a typical 60s mom. She worked in a pharmacy from time to time, but she was pretty much and uh, 60s mom. And I always thought it was strange. She always had cats and dogs. And I'd call her up when my kids were young, and I'd say, hey, did you hear what he did? He did this great in school. And he goes, she'd say, oh, that's awesome. I know he's a smart kid. I'm not surprised at all. By the way, did I tell you what Bart did? <laughs> now, Bart was her French bulldog, and he was a goofy little dog. But I, I kind of stood back and I thought, I just told you about my kids and now you're telling me about your dog. And I was kind of bothered by that at first. I was a little upset by that at first. But then I realized what was going on here. The only thing my mom has ever been in her life was a mom. Not a grandmother, not a career woman, not anything but a mom. She really wasn't even a wife because my father didn't treat her like a wife or a marriage or anything like that. She was always only a mom, and she was a very good mom at it, too. 
So when our kids grow up and go away and they have grandkids, it's great to be grandma to see the kids every now and again. But this is out of her realm. This isn't, she doesn't know what else to do because she's a mom. So as much as I didn't like the comparison to her dog to my kid, I understand now. She was a mom. She couldn't have more kids, of course, but she could get animals. And now she's become the mom to those animals. And they are just as important to her as her kids at that moment in time because that's all she has. So I had to rethink that situation a little bit. I had to give her some credit because she was just trying to survive. She was just trying to stay sane. She was trying to stay active. And as I said, you know, I look back on my mom's life and the one regret I have, you know, there's in my life, there's always things you say to your parents that you regret. But the one thing I regret is that she didn't get what she deserved. She didn't get what she deserved in life. There were a lot of things that could have happened for her positively that didn't. But she persevered no matter what. A bad marriage, abuse, loneliness, no career. But she persevered through that all. And when I think about that, I think, you know, she deserves some tribute. And I do pay tribute to her now and again. I've done it on Facebook, and now I'm doing it here. And for those of you that say, yeah, but you're not talking about politics the whole first half, fuck you. I'm doing this, my podcast, and I think this is important. And this, this is the very least I can do for my mom. Put it out there, who she was and what she was to me and her kids and her grandkids. She didn't get what she should have got. She didn't, she wasn't able to experience the fun and joy of of uh, life that she deserved. Not to say she didn't have a good life. It was It was good, but it should have been better. She earned better than that, but she didn't get it. And she passed away early. And I'll tell you this, my... Uh, my family, her grandkids, my wife, who was very close to her, uh, my brothers and sisters, and of course me. I, rem- I, I, I miss her every day. I really do. And I'm not an emotional guy. I was never an emotional guy with my mom. But it's weird, you know. When, when, when we were doing the funeral, they asked me to do the eulogy. And... Uh, and uh, I said, certainly. I mean, I'm used to talking in front of people and, and Mike, I'll, I'll do the eulogy. And then as we got very close to the church service, my brother comes up to me and he says, you sure you can handle this? And I took it completely wrong. I said, can I handle this? Fuck, I've been in radio for 40 years. Talking into a microphone uh, is not a problem. I can do it. And then he looked at me and goes, you dumbass. I meant, can you handle it? Can you hold back your emotions enough to do it? And I hadn't thought about that. But when I got up there at the mic, it was like a switch that went on. I was just doing a show, if you will, kind of like what I'm doing here with the Rational Boomer podcast. I told some funny things. I told some sad things. I told her story. And it went very well. People were amazed that I was able to get through it without crying. And uh, I'm not a crier, so... um, it wasn't that hard, and, and I was just doing a show at that moment. That was my mindset. But here's the weird thing. Twelve years later, I can be driving around my car apropos of nothing. 
nothing to bring up my mom. And uh, I'll start to get emotional, you know. I'll start to cry and I'll start to get upset. And I don't know if that means she's in the car with me or she's thinking about me or I'm thinking about her. But those emotions come out and they don't change after 10 or 12 years. Whether you're 13 or 62, it doesn't really matter. Moms have a big impact on your life. And if you had a good one, you're very fortunate. And so I feel very fortunate. And that's why I spent the whole first segment of the Rational Boomer podcast talking about her. So let's take a quick break. We'll get down to some news right after this. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, let's get down to the news at hand. We're just starting out here on an early Monday morning. So it's going to be probably later today into the week when the real news, the real crazy bullshit starts to hit. But we have a few things to talk about. For example... Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves was interviewed by Jake Tapper on CNN. And I know you Trumplefucks will say, well, CNN is fake news. Well, that's well and good, but I watched these words dribble out of the face of Governor Tate Reeves, so fuck off. Regardless of where it was broadcast from, it did come out of the governor's mouth, so we can address it. And we can know that it's true and honest because we watched it happen. I think Reeves' answers pretty much support my belief that he and all governors like him are evil, dumbass dipshits. Now keep in mind, this case in Mississippi is what precipitated this decision to overturn Roe v. Wade by Justice Alito. See, that's how they were going to do this. They were going to enact these ridiculous laws in their states and then get involved in lawsuits, bring it to the Supreme Court in hopes that this uh, new Supreme Court with six conservative judges would somehow answer these, these lawsuits and ultimately overturn Roe v. Wade. Well, it appears that's what's going on because we get this leaked document that shows, in fact, that they want to overturn, overturn Roe v. Wade. Now, Jake Tapper asked Governor Tate Reeves why his state is refusing to make exceptions to the rule for rape, incest, or the viability of the fetus, if there's something seriously wrong with the fetus. This was his answer. His answer says, well, these kinds of things, rape and incest and problems with the fetus, they're such small percentages. We shouldn't worry about them. Really? Because they're small percentages, they don't count? Is that what you're saying, Governor Reeves? That seems funny coming from a guy who's really supporting abortion and wants to save the lives of all babies. But apparently, you don't care about the people that are dealing with these situations, these very different situations, because you think there's only a few of them having this happen to them. What are they, fucking collateral damage? Is that okay with you? Is that that what you want to do? Well, that's what it sounds like he wants to do, and that is troubling. 
I mean, he is a governor for all the people, not just Republicans. But apparently he doesn't understand that. He doesn't fucking get that. And it's unfortunate. Then he said something that I found very interesting. He said that in spite of the polling, most people in this country want more restrictions on abortion laws. Well, that's unmitigated bullshit. I mean, these Republicans love the pollings when it makes them look good. They say the polls are the law. They are the facts. But when the polls come out and they don't agree with their agenda, well, they're just polls. They don't matter. People really think that this is bad. And this is pretty much gaslighting. Since 70% of all people in this country support Roe v. Wade, I'm just calling bullshit on you, Governor Reeves. Sounds like you're just gaslighting, as trump tend to do. Now watch what happens. This is going to be the interesting thing. Watch what happens when Republicans get destroyed in the midterms over this overturning Roe v. Wade. They will try to back away from it, but the stink will stay with them. Um, it's, it, these people don't know when to quit. They don't know when to stop. They just keep doubling down. It seems pretty common amongst the Republicans. They do something, and they're wrong. Instead of admitting they're wrong, they just double down some more. They keep double downing some more. And... Uh, it's not going to work for them very well, because if they overturn Roe v. Wade, even if it stands just the way it is now by the time the election starts, this is going to destroy the efforts of the Republican Party. And the fucking thing about it is they know that. They understand that. That's why when somebody goes to talk to a senator or a representatives that happen to be Republicans and say, so you're against abortion, you want to overturn Roe v. Wade, they won't talk. They won't say anything, not because they don't have any kind of opinion on it. They do. It's because they know if they say anything or attach themselves to this, it might hurt their reelection uh, chances come November. Well, the fact of, and that and that's the stupid part. This is already affecting their chances in November. The damage has been done. And if they follow through in the next couple of months and they actually overturn Roe v. Wade, well, then it's a fucking done deal. People will argue with me about it and say, oh, it doesn't mean much for the midterms. How can it not? You're taking a constitutional right away from all women in this country, 51% of the country. You try to tell me, you're trying to gaslight me and tell me it's not going to affect the midterms? Well, that just makes no fucking sense. You're trying to fool us, but more importantly, you're trying to fool yourself. You fucked up. They didn't want this document to be leaked before the midterms. More than likely, they were getting this together and they were going to leak it after the midterms. I'm not sure that's true, but that would make sense. That would be common sense. That would be logic. Of course, we know the Republicans don't really work on common sense and logic, so I may be wrong here. The other thing to remember, too, is this this is a uh, draft document. This may be the starting point, and then they would negotiate it out, and it would be something different by the time it came out. The effects might be the same uh, in the sense that... Uh, 
it would still overturn Roe v. Wade, but it might be softer. Like, that fucking makes a difference. And, of course, it doesn't. You know, I, I've been watching this thing and this the absurdity of what Republicans are saying and how they're dead set against abortion. Okay, you have a right to believe that. But you also have a responsibility to represent your constituency. And if we know 70% of this country support Roe v. Wade, well, I'm, I believe that you're not doing your job in representing your constituency. You're choosing on your own what you think is going to be uh, politically expedient for you, what's going to help you as a Republican own the Democrats. And now you're stepping outside what your real job is. It's not about your constituents. It's not about the country. It's not about right. It's about you and what you're going to gain out of it. And that's fucking troubling, to say the least. Now, I did a TikTok, and I did this kind of tongue-in-cheek, but uh, it would be interesting. I'm thinking there is a way to rectify this whole situation to get the Republicans away from wanting to ban abortions. And and the idea is pretty simple. In the midterms, if the Democrats get bigger control in the House, a larger majority in the Senate, and we can cancel out Manchin and Cinema. if we can do that, what we need to do is pass a law. And this law says two white people cannot procreate. One white person can't procreate with another white person. Just can't do it. You can procreate with any other race in the world, but not another white person. (laughs) Then after a couple of generations, everybody's going to fucking be brown. Nobody will give a shit. The thing about it is, is we shouldn't have to do that. Because the color of somebody's skin is just absolutely ridiculous. The racism we're seeing from the Republican Party is abhorrent. And uh, somehow we've got to get people to understand that it doesn't matter what the race is. I mean, the color of your skin is akin to the color of your hair and the color of your eyes. And to distinguish people differently because of those aesthetic reasons is fucking stupid. Somebody said, uh, why aren't you afraid about this with uh, people of color? I go, no, because the whole fucking concept of racism is just fucking stupid. It makes no sense. There is no logic. It's just somebody making up shit because somebody's different and they're afraid. That's what racism is all about. It's about fear. And there's a big fear that at some point the white, old white men will become the minority. And God, what would happen then if old white men were the minority? I had one of them say to me, I said, oh, aren't you worried about that? I go, no, I'm not worried about it at all. And he said, why not? I said, because whether you're a person of color, whether you're white, whether you're Jewish, whether you're uh, uh, whatever, I've just treated people the same, and I've treated people as best I can, given the circumstances. I said, I would bet the reason you're concerned about it, concerned about being in the minority, is that maybe you didn't treat people well, and there might be some kickback from that once you're in the minority. He goes, oh, no, that's not true. I go, then you got nothing to fucking worry about. Don't worry about the shit. It's going to be fine. I see people like Tate Reeves 
down in uh, down in Mississippi. <laughs> and literally, I'm not just trying to be mean. It's not because I don't like him. I watch him being interviewed. He looks like a deer caught in the headlights. He doesn't seem like the sharpest, most articulate person in the world. He's just following the, 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 the laws of the Republicans. And when asked hard questions, he doesn't know how to answer. He just kind of diverts, distracts. And uh, for me, watching him, I'm embarrassed for him. And it's not just him. It's DeSantis. It's Greg Abbott. It's all these fucks. They are, frankly, too dumb to be in the positions they are. And that's a sad commentary on this country. When our politicians, our leaders, are dumber than the average people in the general public, we've got a problem. They're going to make big mistakes, and lordy have they committed some bad mistakes. We've got to do better in electing people to office because uh, these people are fucked, and they're fucking up this country. Talking about people fucking up this country, let's talk about Lindsey Graham, Senator Lindsey Graham. Now, apparently he lashed out at senators complaining about Supreme Court justices that voted to overturn abortion rights despite suggesting they wouldn't do it in their Senate confirmation hearings. Yeah, that sounds like lying under oath. They try to couch it a bit, but it's fucking lying. That's just the fact. Fox News host Brett Baer told Graham that Senator Susan Collins had expressed outrage at Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh because he lied about his intentions regarding Roe v. Wade in his confirmation hearing. Byer said some senators are now openly questioning whether they were misled. And I'll just add into it what he was trying to couch that with was lied to in the confirmation hearings. Now, Graham responded, this has not been well accepted by the public regarding abortion rights. Oh, here we go. The the public has been divided since 1973. Divided, yeah, but the division is 70% for and 30% against, so it's not like an even split, dumbass. Then he says, ask a Democrat if they would want the court to reconsider Citizens United regarding campaign finance laws. Or how about Heller, where they decided to make the Second Amendment right personal? Well, you're right. They would want those things overturned, but the fact of the matter is, is the Democrats aren't doing that. They aren't doing that at all, and you are. First, he didn't answer the question. Secondly, he's resorting to whataboutism. Of course, Dems would love to overturn Citizens United. That's a fucking horrible law. And Heller, that suggests that the Second Amendment suggests that that means personal use. And nowhere in that Second Amendment does it say that. It said people with guns should be part of a well-regulated militia. And the fucking clown down the street that has five uh, AR-15s in his basement just waiting for the horde to come to his house or to attack some libtard. Yeah, that's not a well-regulated militia. But still, it was allowed in the uh, uh, in the Supreme Court with the Heller decision. Now, if they go ahead and overturn this shit, 
then uh, turnabout is fair play. What I think we should do is do the same thing with gun rights, with uh, Citizens United, and turn those fuckers over. I mean, one of the things they're going to have to consider is stacking the court. When they've stacked the court in their favor and then use it for bad, it's kind of important that the Democrats try to fix it because the Republicans won't. It sounds like with Lindsey Graham, he's saying it's okay for the Supreme Court justices justices to lie if it furthers the Republican agenda. Sorry, that's not an acceptable answer. And it's not an acceptable behavior from justices in the highest court in the land. See, that's the troubling thing. We've got justices on the Supreme Court that are supposed to be in the highest court in the land, above reproach. But they were lying in confirmation hearings. They're playing partisan politics. And they even have a sitting Supreme Court justice who's married to a treasonous, a traitor, somebody who tried to overthrow this government. They want really badly to maintain the image of the Supreme Court. But it's a little hard to do that when you're doing fucked up shit. And to suggest that we should still support them and look at them fondly, even if they are doing this fucked up shit, just makes no sense. Again, now we have the Supreme Court trying to fucking gaslight us. It's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. And Lindsey Graham, he's worthless in my mind. He... He has no integrity, no credibility. Um, The things he says is usually convoluted and have no bearing on the questions he's being asked. And if he can't answer simple questions as a U.S. senator, well, you're as worthless as the Supreme Court at this point. You You don't do the things that a senator is supposed to do in our Supreme Court aren't doing the things they're supposed to do. So we have a Senate and some part of Congress and a uh, Supreme Court, the legal branch, that are just corrupt, just polluted, just perverted. And that's a huge problem. We can't run this country with conditions like that in our branches of government. Last thing we're going to talk about, a former FBI counterintelligence official wrote that an Inspector General report that showed that intelligence reports submitted while Donald Trump was president were manipulated to make him look better. Oh, big surprise. And he says that should be cause for alarm, especially if there's a chance that he could get reelected and get back into office. Apparently, Trump's Department of Homeland Security diluted and delayed a 2020 intelligence report that outlined how this report outlined how the Russians planned to aid Trump's reelection with propaganda. Of course, this comes out in a report Donald Trump sees and say, yeah, we're not going to put that out for a while because that would hurt us in the 2020 elections if everybody knew that uh, um, we were consorting with with the uh, Russians. Well, we all fucking knew. You continue to deny it, but everything that comes out shows that you're walking hand in hand down the uh, down the path with Vladimir Putin. 
I mean, I, 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 I would suggest, hey, we need to look at the 2016 election. If we're talking about election fraud for 2020, we need to look at 2016, too. And remember, the Republicans won in 2016, so it ain't the Democrats that cheated, because if they did, they're very fucking bad at it. But we know the Russians did meddle in 2016, so maybe we need to look at that. There's no way to do it, but it would be nice to go back to 2016, find out that Donald Trump and the Russians cheated, and that we could nullify the whole Trump administration. Can't do that. We can't, you know, we can't unsee that. So it's going to be there. But uh, these people insist on election fraud, so maybe we should open it up deeply and expose all the election fraud. Um, They found out, uh, oh, here's something else they mentioned. They mentioned that in one of the reports they wanted to insert in the report that uh, Joe Biden's health was deteriorating, which isn't true. So they want to put in an intelligence report, an official government document, that somehow Joe Biden wasn't healthy enough to be president, even though that wasn't true. I mean, you think about this. We know Donald Trump destroyed official documents. He shredded them. He burned them. He tried to throw them down the toilet. Some say he maybe even tried to eat them. Then we find out he takes 15 boxes back to Mar-a-Lago, which is clearly illegal, and God knows what he's done with that. Now we find out that he's trying to insert lies into official intelligence briefings. And now they want to try to get four cell phones that he owns uh, for this court case. And now he's saying, well, I can't find them. He's getting fined $10,000 a day for not turning them over. He tried to get the judge to dismiss it by saying, I don't have anything. The judge said, bullshit, the fine continues. So he's getting $10,000 a day in fines. He couldn't get it overturned. So now he's supposed to turn in these four phones, and he claims he doesn't have them. Well, maybe he doesn't have them in Mar-a-Lago. Maybe they're sitting on a desk in fucking New York at the Trump Tower. In fact, I heard somebody suggest that, that that's where it is. So he's trying to be slick. He's saying, I don't have them because he's in Mar-a-Lago. But he does have them. He does have access to them. And it'll be interesting to see if they can put enough pressure on him to get these released to uh, to the attorney general in New York. Now, what they're saying is we can't discount the possibility. This is what the uh, inspector general is saying. We can't discount the possibility that he discussed highly classified intelligence information with the Russians, with Vladimir Putin, at the expense of an ally. It's also being said that if he were in office now, it's likely he would share intelligence with uh, Vladimir Putin regarding the Ukraine war and would likely attempt to feed misinformation to the public, to the American citizens. And that's not surprising at all. I mean, Donald Trump loves to say, well, if I was in office, Russia would have never invaded Ukraine. Well, that's absolute bullshit. You were trying to set up Ukraine by trying to get them to find uh, um, information, 
dirt on Joe Biden. And then you held back funds that would help them protect themselves. You were going into meetings with Vladimir Putin, but not letting anybody else in those meetings. There was no record of those meetings. All of this appears very shady. And thank God for us and thank God for the Ukraine that Donald Trump was not in office when this war started. I contend that this war may have never started if not for the help of Donald Trump. So Donald Trump's got a lot of blame to go around. He is certainly at fault for the million deaths that came from COVID. He's at fault for the the divisiveness in this country and in our government. And he's also responsible for Vladimir Putin and the Russians feeling stronger and maybe better informed in order to attack Ukraine. Donald Trump is a scourge on this country. He is a disease. He is a cancer. The faster we can cut him out, the better. He's still in the game. People always say, why don't you forget about Donald Trump? Because he's not president anymore. No, but he's the leader of this fucking group of of, of racist treasonous, the Republican Party. And as long as he has any sway with those folks, well, he's open for business. And we can say and do whatever we want. And the fact of the matter is we have to say and do things to try to stop Donald Trump because he is the one factor, the one point in all of this that it goes back to uh, in the attempt to overturn, overthrow our government and destroy this country. Donald Trump is the first resource in this And the Republicans are carrying out his evil wishes. So we need to shut him down. Even though he's not president, he still has some sway, a lot of sway with the Republican Party. We need that bullshit to stop. All right, we're going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you very much for listening, taking the time to do so. If you have questions, comments, complaints, by all means, send me an email at rationalboomer at gmail.com. Go to anchor.fm, look for the Rational Boomer podcast. You leave me a voicemail message. I hope you have a great day. We'll be back again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.